Today we're going to continue our series in Philippians. Uh, we actually have this week and then two more weeks we'll wrap that up and then we'll go into uh, what's known as Palm Sunday. That leads us into Holy Week and then we'll have Easter. So Easter is just right around the corner. Um, we're excited about that as well. So um, today we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 uh, verses 13 through 21. Now, we've been doing this for a while. We, like I said, we've only got two more weeks left in the book of Philippians. Uh, give you a little background in case you're jumping in and this is your first week. Um, the letter to the Philippians is really, the book of Philippians is really a letter. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, the Apostle Paul didn't start out so good in the Bible. When we first encountered the Apostle Paul around Acts 7, 8, right in there, uh, the book of Acts, you can go read this. Uh, where the Apostle Paul was an enemy of the church. He was an enemy of Christ. Uh, it's why it's special that in the book of Romans, Paul wrote that Christ died for us while we were enemies of God. And, and it's really incredible to think about that. And that became something very real to Paul um, as he encountered Jesus on the way to a city called Damascus. And on this, this road to Damascus, he met Christ in um, just a, a supernatural, incredible way. And his life was changed forever. Uh, he became a missionary, uh, going around spreading the gospel, starting churches, planting churches in different places. Uh, one of those places was Philippi. You can read about the planning of this church in Acts 16. Uh, you can go read the incredible things that happened there, some things that uh, were actually even painful for Paul. But God still did some incredible, miraculous things in Philippi. And when we read this letter that he wrote back to this church to encourage them, to warn them, to instruct them, you can really feel the love and affection he has for the Philippians. And um, as you go through that, you can see it. If you read Acts chapter uh, 16, you can understand why he saw God do some incredible things in people's lives. And so this is the letter we're going through. That's the Paul that wrote uh, this letter. And so today we're going to pick up where we left off last week in Philippians uh, in verse 13. Last week, Paul had given us a warning. He'd given the Philippians a warning uh, not to try and work for our salvation, but to accept salvation through Jesus by grace through faith alone. Uh, we saw that, that if you add anything to faith in Christ, then it's no longer the gospel. It's not our effort and Jesus's effort. It's not all of our effort. It's Jesus's effort um, and his salvation for us that we receive by faith. And so today we're picking up and we're going to see a little bit of a different type of warning. This warning is uh, Paul telling them not to follow after people who have rejected Jesus. And, and so we're really going to look at this uh, today and see where Paul is giving us some very clear instruction on who to keep our eyes on, who to follow, what examples to look to. So in verse 13, Paul says this, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He's talking about uh, coming to maturity. He's talking about having uh, reached the pinnacle of who he's supposed to be, perfection. He's saying, I haven't attained all of this, all that I even long to have, all the knowledge of Jesus that I want. He says, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ or for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I want to encourage you in this room this morning that if your past is what's holding you back, I would encourage you that in Christ you're a new creation that the old is gone, the new has come. And 
It's just on my heart to encourage you right now that you do as Paul did here, forgetting what's behind, moving, straining towards what is ahead. Continue to press on towards Jesus. He goes on in verse 15, all of us then who are mature should take such a view. He talks about how we should see things, such a view of things. He's saying, see it the way I've just described it. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. He's saying, if you continue to follow Jesus and in some point of what I've just laid out for you, you disagree, God is going to reveal the truth to you. He says, only let us live up to what we have already attained. He's telling us the word for live up to, it literally is like a, a word for a soldier getting in line. What he's telling us is the truth that you do have, he's saying get in line with that truth. Live out that truth. He says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. There's a lot of reference to how we see in this passage. I want to point this out. He says, should have such a view. He talks about seeing their example. He says, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. And he gives this warning. He says, for as I've often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your truth. Jesus, you told us that if we hold to your commands, that we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. I pray today, Lord, that we would find the power of that verse as we hear your truth. Lord, that it would set us free. I pray for the person right now who feels so they're trapped. I pray today, Lord, that you would open their eyes to see that you're the way out. I pray, Lord, for the person who's walking in darkness. I pray that today, Lord, they would see the light of Christ, that our eyes would be open to see who you are. That God, we today would lift our eyes above the horizons of this earth and set them upon heaven, upon the King of heaven, upon the Lord of lords, Lord. We thank you for that. And I pray your love would sink deeply into our hearts. The seed of your word would sink deeply into our hearts. And today, God, life would take the place of death and light would take the place of darkness and peace would take the place of anxiety that security would take the place of uncertainty, that hope would take the place of discouragement. Lord, just have your way 
in our hearts today, in our minds. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, if you've ever noticed, two people can look at the same thing and see it differently, completely differently. If you've ever noticed this, how many of you have ever seen these drawings that you can look at and one person sees one thing and the other person sees something else? You ever seen these? I got a few of these I want you to see. Um, I'm going to do my best to talk over here more. My wife tells me I never talk to this side. I think she's jealous of this side. So I'm going to try to talk to this side. It's hard. I don't know why I go to my left. But anyway, I want you to look at some of these drawings. So here's this one. So how many of you see a bird? Bird. How many of you see a rabbit? Rabbits. There you go. Weird, right? All right. How about this one? How many of you see a young lady? Then how many of you see an older lady with a big nose and a big chin? Right? I had to look at that one a little while. I'm like, I don't, I'm not seeing it. But then how about this last one right here? How many of you see a face? How many of you see a guy walking into a cave? Yeah. If you saw the second one in each of those pictures, then you're more intelligent than, I'm kidding, that's not true. <laughs> but it would be funny if it was, um, unless you saw the first one. So uh, anyway, it's interesting how we can look at the same thing and see it two different ways. Um, it's interesting how we can look at the same person and see them two different ways. I challenge myself with this a lot because it's easy to look at someone who is going through a hard time in life and think, well, if they just get it together, they're just sorry, they're just lazy, or just maybe we look at them and we see somebody that needs a hand, somebody that needs help. It's easy to look at someone who is down and out. And we look at them and we think, how sorry are they? But we forget that at one point in time, that was a child. That was somebody's baby. And we don't see them like that. It's easy, honestly, for men to objectify women and to look at them in a certain way and to think about them a certain way rather than looking at them and seeing them and thinking about them as a daughter of God, as someone deserving respect. It's easy for us to look at people and two people to see somebody very differently. That's also true when we look at Jesus. There's two different ways you can see Jesus. One of those ways is that the Lord and Savior of all the earth. The other way is simply to see Jesus as kind of a non-commodity, somewhat indifferent. And understand this, any response other than seeing Jesus as Lord and Savior is a rejection of Jesus. And the verse that really grabbed my heart this week and that I really wanted to share my heart about is in verse 18. 
And Paul wrote this. He's, he tells us to keep our eyes on those who live as we do, as they did, as the apostles, as those with Paul. And he says, For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. As I've been praying through this passage for weeks, it was about Thursday of this week that that passage grabbed my heart. And it really brought a lot of heaviness to me because here's the thing I realized. There are people in this room right now who are living as enemies of the cross of Christ. There are people in here right now who have looked at Jesus and seen him as unimportant. There are people in here right now that if we were being really, really honest, Jesus isn't the Lord and Savior of our life. He's more of a hindrance to come to worship, to read, to pray, to spend time with him is more of a hindrance than it is a joy, a privilege. And we can look at this and we can say, well, an enemy of the cross of Christ is that person that's so worldly, that person that's out there given to drunkenness and promiscuity and they're sleeping around and they're doing drugs and they're da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da and it just goes on and on and on. I understand that's not the only enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul talks about the enemies of the cross of Christ being people who take Jesus and add something to him for salvation. We talked about this last week, that Jesus plus something else that, that, that to get to salvation is not the gospel. And this should be alarming to us because there are people who fill churches every Sunday that think they're saved by their church attendance. Yes, I need Jesus because he died for my sins, but I also need my morality and my effort. I need my church attendance, my my quiet time, all of these things. I need all of that. And, And that is what gives me salvation. When the truth is you can do all of those things and still be an enemy of the cross. It looks like people who are apathetic towards Jesus and the gospel. And we can say, well, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I just kind of never really thought about it. I've never made a, a really a choice, but understand to not make a choice, you've made a choice. You've either received or you've rejected. You either follow or you don't. We see people who take the grace of God and they pervert it. They twist it and they use it as a reason or a way that they can do whatever they want to do because I can always come back to grace. But if that's our attitude, I would say you've never really experienced grace because grace changes our heart, this unconditional love and unmerited favor that moved God to do for us in Christ what we cannot do for ourselves. It changes our heart and I want to live for God. I don't want to abuse this privilege. And so we can look at it and we can say, well, these are the enemies, but I think we need to broaden our understanding. There's two broad categories. One is I have received, I follow. The other is I have rejected and I'm still living for myself. And like Paul, this should break our heart. 
When is the last time that we wept over someone else's soul? When's the last time that we wept over someone's sin? When's the last time we wept over our own sin? When's the last time we were brokenhearted because someone was going down a path of destruction rather than judging them for the path that they're on? And we look at this and it should bring us to the point of tears. When we see people hurting all around us, when we see people on this broad path and in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus said this in chapter seven, he talks about how broad the path is that leads to destruction. And he says, look, many people are on this path. Then he talks about how that there's this narrow path, this narrow gate. And he says, this is the path. This is the way that leads to life. And he says, but few people find it. And when we look around us in the world today, does it not break our heart to see so many people? Because I can tell you that path to destruction is as wide as it's ever been. It's as full as it's ever been. And does it not break our heart to look around and see all of these people headed down that path? And that's why this has pricked my heart so much this week. It's because I know this right now. There are people in this room who are headed down that path. And you might have walked in here with a smile on your face. You might have walked in here with your best church answer to how you're doing. You might have walked in here with a facade on that, that, that says everything is okay. But on the inside right now, you know you're dying. There's never been a time in my life when the darkness seemed to be overcoming more and more people. We look around and the darkness is just, it just seems to be consuming people. It seems that the darkness is closing in around people and, and choking out any ounce of life that's in them. It's like Jesus said when he was talking about the end times more than ever before. He, he said, you'll hear rumors of wars and, and you'll hear about pestilence, disease. You'll hear about all of these things. There's never been a time when more of that is in our lives. And we look around and people are less happy than they've ever been. I saw, I think it was an NBC News poll that said people right now in America, when they're asked, they're the most unhappy that they've been in 50 years. I saw another thing, I think it was from the National Institute of Mental Health. The rate of suicide has gone up 35% since the year 2000 people who get in such darkness that they give up in a permanent way. I would bet this, that almost every single person in this room has been affected in one way or another by someone who's taken their own life. 
And this is real. See, flannel board Jesus, Sunday school Jesus, uh, a theory of Jesus doesn't bring light into that kind of darkness. It's a real relationship with the King of Kings that has grabbed hold of us and we grab hold of him and that light comes in, hope comes in. Even in circumstances when things aren't good, there's still something to hold on to. And Paul's heart breaks because he knows that those who live as enemies of the cross are in darkness. They're headed for destruction. Jesus, in Matthew chapter six, this is part of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount really hits at our worldview. He says, this is what the world has taught you. This is what you've heard. But I'm telling you the truth. It's basically how almost all of this sermon from five to seven in Matthew goes. And in verses 19 through 24, he's talking about the love of money, the dangers of this love of money. He's talking about how um, our treasure, uh, where our treasure is, our heart will be. And he gets down to verse 24. And the last line, he says, you cannot serve both God and money. Some translations translate it God and mammon. Mammon was a pagan god of money. And really what he's getting at is you can serve God or you can serve this self-indulgent material system of the world that we live in. But there's only one of two ways to do it. And in talking about this, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? We live in a time where we're seeing the darkness in people. It is How great is the darkness in us? How great is the darkness in so many people? And Jesus says this though. He says, if your eyes are healthy, if you see clearly, and really, if you see Jesus clearly, if you look at Jesus and see the Lord and Savior, not an optional figure in history, if you look at Jesus and you see him in the right way, he says, then you can have light even in the darkness. He says, but if your eyes are unhealthy, if you see Jesus and you just see some philosopher, you just see some theory of religion, you just see some good man that did some good things, you just see somebody that was cool during his day but outdated now. If that's what you see, then understand this. Your eyes are unhealthy and there's no other option but darkness. He's saying you're blind. If that's how we see Christ, then we are blind. And right now, if you close your eyes, what is there? Darkness. And Jesus is telling us how we see and where we set our eyes and how our eyes see, how our eyes see Jesus will determine the light within us. Paul writing to these Philippians is trying to tell them, and, and if you go through scripture, I would encourage you, 
Just go to the back of your Bible. Look up the word mind. Go through and read the passages. Look up mindset, mind, things to do with the mind. And see how many times we are instructed on where to set our mind. Go through and find passages that instruct us on where to set our eyes. Go through and find passages that tell us where to set our heart. Because what we're instructed over and over to do is to set our eyes on him. We're instructed to set our hearts on him. We're instructed to set our minds on him. Because where our eyes and our hearts and our minds sit will determine the life we live. And Paul instructs him in this. Paul's heart is breaking because those who've rejected Jesus, those who've rejected the cross, these enemies of the cross, he says their destiny is destruction. He says their destiny is destruction, such destruction that is so dark and empty and void of life that Jesus said that in that place there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. He says that these people who've rejected the cross, he says that their God is their stomach. He said they're going after every desire that they have, but it's, it's insatiable. It's like eating and eating and eating and never getting your fill. It's like feeding a bottomless pit. It's like feeding a teenager. Just never satisfied. And he's saying their, their God is their stomach. They just go after their, their sensual desires. They're going after something to try to fill themselves and yet they'll never do it. It made me think about Jesus when he comes to this Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus asked her to give him a drink. And she says, who are you, a Jew? Because Jews and Samaritans didn't get along to ask me for a drink. And Jesus said, if you knew who it is that asked you for a drink, then you'd ask me for water and I could give you living water and you'd never thirst again. And this lady had been trying to fill her life and fill her, her desires, her insecurities, everything about her with men. And Jesus knew this and he points this out to her. And he says, I can give you something, some water. I can give you the Holy Spirit who will satisfy your desires if you would only ask. And we're a lot like that woman. We, we look down this well of life and we try to draw up something that will satisfy. And it's as though Jesus is over here saying, if you would only turn to me, and if you would truly drink of me, then I can give you something that would satisfy you in a way that you've never been satisfied before. If you quit looking down the well in the darkness and realize that the light is here, then that light can shine in the darkness. And John in chapter one, when he's talking about Jesus coming to earth, the, his incarnation, he says that Jesus was the light. He said, and this light was the life of all men. And he says that, that in that, the darkness could not overcome it. And so Paul is 
saying that these folks who have rejected the cross, they'll never be satisfied. He says their glory is in their shame. He's saying they've taken what's good and called it evil and what's evil and called it good. The things that they glory in, the things that they celebrate are things that are shameful. He's saying this is how twisted their mind has gotten. And he says that mind is set on earthly things. I would ask you today, when you look at Jesus, what do you see? When you look at Christ, what do you see? See the Lord and Savior of all the earth? Is he the lamb who was slain to take away the sin of the earth? Is he the one who took your sin upon himself and the wrath of God for that sin so that you wouldn't have to endure it simply by accepting what he's done for you on the cross? Or is he a hindrance? Have you received him or are you rejecting him? My prayer is today, if you're walking in darkness, that you would realize who Christ is and you'd receive him. Paul gives us this really clear contrast for those who are living in Christ versus those who are living as enemies of the cross of Christ. He tells us that those who are enemies, their destiny is destruction, God's their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and he says their mind is set on earthly things. And then there's this word bud, and I, I tell you guys a lot of times, look at these transition words because it signals what's happening, what the author of, of, of whatever you're reading is, is telling us. And this word but signals this transition, and, and he's bringing out a contrast. He says, these people are this. He says, but, he says, the first thing, our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. He's saying, you don't belong on this earth. This is not your home. He's saying these people can't see past the horizons of this earth. He said, but you need to look up and see heaven because that's your home. He said, they're headed for destruction, but you're headed for life. When we've gone through the last couple of years, the thing that's kept me sane, the thing that's kept me hopeful in the midst of covid in the midst of the different wars that has gone on, the different things that are happening, the thing that kept me sane when the church shut down is this, that this isn't my home, that if all this ends today, whatever happens can't take away what my future holds in Christ, that is our hope. 
Our hope is in eternity. It's not in this. And if we don't have hope in eternity, then what hope do we have? It's why I believe the darkness is creeping in on so many people. The things going on in the world make us look at the circumstances around us. And it takes our eyes off of what is the greatest truth. Is it no man, no circumstance, no, no war, no disease, no variant can take us out of the hands of God. And the most sure thing for believers is our eternity is secure. Such a contrast from headed to destruction to headed to heaven, to living in the presence of God. He says, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. What a contrast to our God being our stomach. He says they're eagerly trying to find something that'll satisfy. He says we're eagerly awaiting our Savior. This is something that's largely been lost in the church today is an expectation of Christ's return. And I'm not gonna tell you it's gonna happen tomorrow. I'm not one of those guys like 321, 22. Jesus is coming back at seven o'clock a.m. I'm not that guy. But I am this guy. We're closer today than we were yesterday. And I can tell you this, that when you live with an expectation that whether it's in my lifetime or whether it's in another thousand years, Jesus is coming back for me. It gives you hope that raises you up above the horizons of this earth. It gives you vision that sees beyond the circumstantial. Look, it doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that life is not filled with pain, with trouble, with disappointment, with discouragement. It doesn't mean that. What it means, though, is I have a hope that is bigger than that. It means that when tears are coming down my face and my heart is breaking, I can still lift up my voice and shout and praise God that my eternity is set and there will be a day when he wipes away every tear from our face and that when we see him in his glory, all the things that we've endured in this lifetime aren't going to matter because these temporary light uh, troubles and tribulations don't compare to the weight of glory that we are going to see and receive when we are with him in his glory. I just feel like saying this to somebody here. Don't let your heart be troubled. That's what Jesus told the disciples. Do not let your heart be troubled. I want to encourage you today. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes to the King of Kings. Lift up your eyes to the Lord of Lords. Trust him. If you're in Christ, trust him. Rejoice that the future is secure. And if you're not in Christ, if, if, if your life is not hidden in him, if your faith is not in Jesus, you've never come to faith in Christ, then why today would you not say yes to him? Why would you keep walking down this broad path that leads to destruction when he says, look, I am the gate. 
I am the door. I am the shepherd that leads you to life. Why would we resist that? You know why? Because in our minds, all we've ever seen of Jesus is, is dead religion. And yet today what Jesus offers us is life, light, a relationship, not something else to do, someone to know. He says, and this is the Jesus who we're waiting for, the one who by who through the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will one tra day transform lowly by our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. You know what that means? It means he takes us, he, he makes us like himself. It doesn't mean like, guys, you're gonna have abs. That's not what it's saying. You're not gonna care, I promise. What it's saying is this flesh that is so sinful, this flesh that feels pain, this flesh that was created for paradise, not this fallen world. This flesh is one day gonna be made like Jesus. And the righteousness that he's given us by faith will be something that is really, like it is what we are. Paul said it like this, that what is mortal, what is temporary, is exchanged for what's immortal and what's eternal. And this is his promise to us. I wanna close this out today by challenging you with a passage of scripture out of the book of Revelation. In this, Jesus is speaking to the apostle John. John is writing it down and Jesus is speaking to him about the church in Laodicea. And Jesus tells John to write this. He says, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have required wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. There are people who walked in this place today who you thought I do not need a thing, but right now you realize I am wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. And the answer to that is Jesus. And Jesus says, I cancel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. He says something that is pure, something that is good, something that doesn't corrode, something that doesn't rust, something that the moths can't come and eat and destroy. He said, I'm giving you something that is so much better than what the world can offer. He says, come to me so you can become rich and have white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. He says, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. You know, that's all it really takes. If today there's conviction in your heart that I've been living as an enemy of the cross, you know, all it takes is to turn, to go from rejecting to receiving. That's all it takes. He says, here I am. 
I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I want you to understand that that, that, that invitation is true for those who've never had a relationship with Christ. 100%. That today Jesus is calling to the one who has never had a relationship with him to come to him. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. But understand this passage was written to people in the Laodicean church whose hearts had grown lukewarm. And today what I'm telling you is if that's where you are, the hands of a holy God are knocking on the door of your heart. And you have a choice. I can open the door and I can receive and I can have intimacy with Christ or I can leave the door closed and I can walk away and I can reject and I can continue to live as an enemy of Christ. But understand this, there is no light apart from Christ. There is no life apart from Christ. There is no hope apart from Christ. There is no future that is good apart from Christ. But today he offers intimacy, he offers a relationship, he offers light, he offers life. In the midst of all the darkness, he offers hope and light that the darkness cannot overcome. A lot of you know my story. That I was in darkness, this, this darkness, this depression is the only way I know to describe it. Not for a day, not for a month, not for a year, but for several years. There were days I would get up and it was everything I could do to get out of bed, brush my teeth, take a shower, and go to the office. I get to the office and the only thing I could do is put my, literally, I can see myself sitting in the office across from the courthouse with my desk right there and my forehead on the desk. I remember it like it was yesterday and everything in me wanted to pick my head up and go back to work and be vital and be able to do the things I knew I was called to do for the church and for my family. And there was this, it just wasn't in me. And there was shame and there was guilt because I couldn't be what I knew I needed to be. And there were days it was everything I could do just to take a little step. There were days it, 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 I, I, I certainly couldn't run. I could barely walk. But every day, Every day, you can't live 10 days from now. You can live today. But every day, 
I just got up and like Austin said, there were days I couldn't even say much. There was one Easter, I didn't even go in the last half to the office, the last half of Easter. I didn't have a message ready. I didn't have much that I even knew I was gonna say on Easter, but you know, I, I couldn't do it. And there were days when I didn't have a lot that I could say, I didn't have a, enough energy to do much. But you know what? There were days that all I could say was, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. I know right now, God, I'm not much, but I thank you that you love me. And here's the thing I can tell you is that in all of my shame and guilt for being the way I was, God showed up every day. There were days that I didn't feel like he was there, but God was there. And he held on to me. And I'm encouraging you today. If you are in Christ, God is holding on to you. God has you. The only way you don't come out on the other side of what you're going through is if you quit. And today I would tell you to lift up your eyes to the King of Kings, to Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. And maybe it's all you can do to lift your head and say, Lord, save me, but that's enough. But don't you quit today. Don't you give in today. Don't you tap out today. Because when you are in Christ, there's a glorious future that is awaiting you. Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. The choice is before you. The choice of life or death blessing and cursing. Jesus has done it all. All you have to do is say yes. Lord, I thank you today for life and peace and joy that comes from you and your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for the person here today who doesn't know you that they would hear your invitation, they would hear your call, and they would say yes. I thank you that you would flood their hearts with your spirit, give them a new heart, give them a new way of seeing you. Thank you that no one in this room is so far into the darkness that the light can't find them, Lord. But I pray for the person here today who their mind is troubled, their heart is troubled. I pray they'd lift their eyes to you and know, Lord, that you've got them. Lord, that there may be tears in the night, but joy comes in the morning. We thank you for that. Would you fill their hearts with hope? Would you replace despair with hope? Discouragement with encouragement? 
anxiety with peace. Life with death, or death with life, Lord, we thank you. Father, thank you that you never give up on us. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name.